listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Timbre, process, percept. Michel Abandano is a composer, experimental performer, and researcher. Her creative work has been developed in the fields of acoustic and electroacoustic music, as well as live electronics and collaborative work with dance. Her main interest is to explore timbre, especially its multidimensional and dynamic condition. She was awarded an AHC Doctoral Research Scholarship to pursue a PhD in composition at the University of Leeds in England. Okay, well, uh, yeah, let's get started. So, uh, great to meet you like this. Um, uh, we're going to talk about three of your pieces. And uh, I wanted to talk about your piece, Trayectos. Yes, well, this piece was composed in 2012. And I was thinking in the journey of the sound, and I was um, trying to approach it uh, like a process of transformation from a different kind of experiences. Okay. Uh, like, like a travel. Okay. Uh, traveling between the experience of the sound. And is that is that what the title translates to? Yes, kind of. It's like a journey. Okay. Yes. And then, so, while you were writing the piece, was that informing how you were how you were choosing, like, kind of where to go musically, or did that title come later and it should kind of in, inform how we listen to the piece? I think it's um, simultaneously, but I was not so conscious uh, that that was going to be the title. But I was thinking in that movement, like displacement uh, from the experience. But also, I think in the movement as a transformation. And uh, I was approaching that in the composition, then I got that idea of maybe this could be a good title because I want the listening, the listener to uh, be able to feel that he's uh, traveling with the sound. Right. So how, what are, what kind of transformations are you thinking about as you write this piece in terms of the musical material? How are you, how are you transforming the material to kind of create this journey? Uh, in this piece, I wanted to start with uh, something that could be like distortion, like a big uh, impact, that mm -hmm. it's going to be uh, letting go the many layers to go to something that it's more clear or pure, mm -hmm. another kind of experience of the same interaction between the instruments and that was something that I was interested in that moment that was to explore different possibilities of the uh, of the instruments and uh, the big instrument of the ensemble so mm -hmm. what I wanted to do was uh, to explore possibilities in the strings of the piano for example uh, like doing harmonics that are very clear and also um, bowing the piano, the, the strings. So mm. it was the same approach 
to the to that part of the instrument, but getting very different results in the timbre. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the the bowed piano because at, at certain points that has a, a really um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like you say, it's very, dis it can be very distorted or it can be very pure. It has this kind of, uh, you know, you have strings in the ensemble, but clearly that sound is not one of the strings being, being bowed. It's, it's very different. It has so much more character and has so much more, uh, spectral content than, uh, than just a, you know, of the violin or the cello. We should should mention that this is a piece for uh, flute, clarinet, piano, violin, and cello. So um, the the Piro uh, instrumental um, quintet. And um, is the is the piano also prepared in some places in this piece? No, it's not prepared. Okay, uh, but it is um, played inside in the strings uh -huh. uh, most of the time. And exploring the very the highest uh, register on the keys, so uh -huh. I, I was looking for different possibilities. I didn't want it to sound, I didn't want to the piano to sound like um, traditional. Yeah, like a traditional like a piano. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I I was uh, trying different things, but also thinking that it was part of an ensemble, so I wanted to create resonances between them, like extended resonances. So it was a kind of um, recreation of that uh, of the possibilities of the instruments, but also having that uh, big resonance of the piano. Uh, okay. Being yeah. extended by the other instruments. Right, right, right. Um, the the I think there were just a couple times where it sounded like maybe something had been inserted into the piano because you were getting kind of these like detuned um, sounds from the piano, but you're just kind of working a lot inside the piano to get some of those sounds, but not you know uh, permanently inserting anything. No, no, it was only uh, playing, and it is, I think, the interaction with the uh, hair of the cello that we used to bow uh -huh. the, the strings of the piano, and also because the, the player, the performer of the piano is very experiment, uh, experienced in, in experimental and improvisation right. so she was able to look for the different possibilities uh, through the different um, intensities uh-huh yeah so, and the velocity the speed for example it sure. also changed the harmonic spectrum that we can mm -hmm. uh, get from that with a with a piece like this how do you how do you as a composer start composing a piece like this? Because all of the instruments have, you know, a lot of different, um, a lot of different techniques that they are moving through, you know, like for instance, I think the piece opens with the strings doing a kind of overpressure bowing. And there are times at the end where it seems like the flute and the clarinet are kind of doing these uh, like uh, lip pizzicato or, or you know, very uh, like kind of tongue ram sounds. And I mean, you know, for uh, a lot of these sounds, 
can't really be represented on the piano and it can't really be represented through any kind of notation software. So like, how do you as a composer say, I'm going to start with all of these sounds, but then almost like, how do you go about working with them? Not, not having them kind of, uh, available or ready to just hear, you know, for, for feedback as you compose. Well, I think that it has been really important for me uh, to have listened to other people's music. Mm -hmm. I think that I have that approach to the sound from the music that I listen to. And uh, I think that it is also a way to feel attracted. What What I like about music is the possibilities, all the possibilities possibilities that we have uh, exploring uh, timer for example I have been obsessed with timer for years so I think Mm -hmm. that the thing that I attracted the most to music is the transformation of timer and I think my music uh, from that uh, from that perspective so I think that uh, many um, techniques, instrumental techniques that are available now are source of, uh, source of, so they are like source to, uh, of material to yeah. write the pieces, but it, it is also um, inspiration because from a very particular sound, you can develop a very extended idea with only one gesture or the approach, the attack, a kind of attack, a kind of uh, sustain and the development that we can do. All the things that we can do just changing a little bit the, um, I don't know, the fingering or mm-hmm. or the place of the bow and things like that. Uh, it is uh, also very subtle. And that's very interesting for me. So I try to think in all the process, not only thinking in objects or static things, but the process. Yeah, the kind of uh, spectomorphology of the of the sound as opposed to just the object. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, since since I just brought up that word, I was my next question was actually going to be how. How has because I found your work through your uh, through your electronic pieces. So I was wondering if uh, your work with electronics has influenced or informed the way you write for instruments, or um, because I don't know, you know, I don't know the timeline of when you started working with electronics. Has it been the other way around? Has your has your uh, interest in timbre with instrumental? Uh, pieces kind of informed the way you think about electronics? Uh, That's a very interesting question. I started to study music in a very traditional way. So my first experience was very traditional with the instruments. And and I met a a Colombian composer. Uh, She's uh, Ana Maria Romano. And she is one of the most uh, interesting electroacoustic music composers. 
and it was really uh, important to found to find that music uh, mm-hmm. for my for my process uh, of learning and then i started to do my when i studied uh, composition uh, i had the possibility of exploring not very deep but it was a really uh, important experience with the composition of electroacoustic music and also live electronics and i think that was a determ- determinant for my way to up- understand what i wanted to do because mm-hmm. uh, there was um a universe of possibilities right yeah uh, to do and I think uh, that I was interested in looking for that possibilities in the instrumental music. And it has been a really a slow process for me because um, I think that I got the immediacy of the electroacoustic composition where I have the software and I can approach the, the sound and, or the material and transform it and process it and add everything I want to and I can hear immediately yes I want this or or no it needs more whatever so I that process uh, in instrumental composition is very um, long it's not so immediate and it is also important to understand the, the possibilities of each instrument each performer and the relationship, the corporal relationship between them. So it's like every piece is a new universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very particular. Yeah, that I mean, that's absolutely what I've what I've found as well. Because you know, like like you, I kind of started off studying music in a traditional sense, and then when I finally found electronics, then it started to reinform my acoustic pieces, but you know, the, the time going from writing a piece, you know, putting it down on paper and then getting it rehearsed. And then it's, it's like you say, it's just a very long process of having the idea and hearing the idea and maybe, you know, quite often figuring out, oh, that idea doesn't work anymore. And, you know, it's just a long drawn out process as opposed to working at the computer and having that immediate feedback and immediate opportunity to kind of correct an idea or, you know, play with an idea to make it work. So that's kind of uh, earlier. That's kind of was what I was getting at, you know, like in terms of uh, like your workflow uh, in working with these uh, these techniques and these sounds that you don't have that um, that immediate uh, feedback, even it, you know, even if it's terrible MIDI, it, it would still give you some like, you know, if you're if you're just working like with pitch and rhythm, it still gives you a set uh, a, a method of feedback to where you can like, oh no, that's not the note. I need to change that note. As opposed to some of these sounds, it's like, well, is that really going to work? And like you say, it's just a really slow, slow and drawn out process of kind of figuring out. Is if if the if these sounds play nicely together, I guess. Yes, and I think it's absolutely necessary to have the relationship with the person who is going to play the the piece, mm-hmm. or that's ideal. But it is important to have that approach 
to the to the person uh, it is, to the musician who is going to play because um, not everything can come from the theoretical or technical approach in the right. research that you do to write and you have the starting point from that and it is very important and I, I do it all the time study the instrument that I am going to write for but then you have the performer and you realize of many of many things that uh, are new for you maybe but also unbelievable <laughs> mm -hmm. like that the reality of the sound and the, the complexity of all the process from the gesture the physical approach uh, until the the sound or the right, sounding yeah. experience yeah I love the ending of this piece. Um, the last, like, I think maybe a minute and a half or so, there, there's this kind of delicate way in which you're treating these sounds that we've heard before, but it seems like they have all come together uh, in, in a really nice way for the ending. Maybe, the, maybe those sounds that have been on that kind of spectral journey throughout the piece have kind of landed together in the end. Well, I, you made me remember something <laughs> that I was uh, focusing on only five pitches uh -huh. to have like, I was not interested in the organization of the pitches for this uh -huh. composition and uh, I think I have never been, but uh, it was an excuse to have, um, to have control uh, of the subtle transformation so it was like an static uh, harmony mm -hmm. but that was not intended it was more like the consequence but i tried to tie it everything uh, to tie everything by holding those uh, five pitches all the time during the so i think it is um, a consequence that we have been listening to that uh, superposition in mm -hmm. different in different registers and different time bars, and then uh, it's a it's part of the process to to feel that it is something that it's transform that it it is being transformed, right? But yeah. uh, but it is not like something different every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the kind of end it like you say it kind of it kind of sum it sums things up in a in a way and uh it's it's a nice synthesis of some of the things we've heard before in the piece and uh it it ends up kind of being almost and and I don't know I don't know if you meant it like this but it ends up kind of being a cadential figure for the entire piece like we've we we've gone through these transformations and then we come to this place where we find some sense of closure yeah well i i wanted to present yes because i wanted to try to come back to the to the um, complexity of the beginning but mm -hmm. the but in the in the piano at the beginning were uh, about the violin and the cello and then 
those possibilities in the piano were very different, but that it was the kind of approach. So mm -hmm. yes, I think it was. Cool. It was that. Well, let's uh, let's listen to it now. Who are the performers that we're going to hear on this recording? It's the flute, uh, Leonardo Peña, clarinet, uh, Daniela Bondano, piano, Melissa Vargas, uh, violin, Carolina Pedrosa, and cello, Carolina Moreno. And they are not an ensemble, so they were just friends that I called. I need to record this piece. And it was amazing because they they don't they didn't um met each other before. Uh-huh. They didn't they just meet came each together. other. So yes, some of them yes, but not not all ensemble. So it was really interesting to see how them uh, how they understood the the piece and the um, relationship uh, in the sound. Right. So That's was, awesome. Yes. <laughs> cool. Let's let's hear it now. This is Trayectos.
it was actually because of your electroacoustic music that I found you. And I, I mentioned that before. I was I was programming a concert of electronic works um, here where I teach at Ohio University. Uh, the concert's called the, or the concert series is called Click, and for pretty much for all the uh, programming that I'm responsible for, I make sure that those concerts are always gender equal. And uh, I was using uh, this website that um, a couple other members of the Adjective New Music Collective, um, Composers Collective, have created the Composers Diversity Database. And I was looking for women who wrote acousmatic music. And I got to say, there aren't, you know, there, there are quite a few, but uh, I just was, I wasn't really finding what I was, what I wanted um, to program. And then uh, I came across your music and uh, we programmed your uh, uh, acousmatic piece, uh, Lo Sutil y Lo As- Ausente. That was horrible. I just butchered it. <laughs> but what, what does that, what does that piece translate to that title? Uh, the subtle and the absent. The subtle and the absent. And the title is because I was working on that piece in a, in an artistic uh, residency in Mexico, uh-huh. and okay. I was working with a dancer. So oh, okay. uh, there, there was uh, an interaction with sounds uh, produced by the movement of the of the dancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this uh, part that is the electroacoustic, it's alone. I decided to use that title to call to that uh, thing that it's missing. But right. I, I thought that I, I was very um, attached to this piece because uh, I wanted to, I, I think it, it deserved to be heard alone also mm-hmm. right yeah so so now we're going to talk about another one of your electroacoustic pieces and this is uh a la inquivoca memoria de mi piel mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm sorry no. no it's perfect it's something like to the inequivocal memory of my skin okay uh, and it is uh, based on an idea that I have been approaching in research and also composition, that is the um, three semantic dimensions of timbre that were said by some researchers that I have been reading for a long time. And they, they propose uh, texture, mass, and luminance as the three semantic dimensions, and I was very attracted to that idea mm-hmm. to understand time bar from a creative perspective. So this piece is based on texture, the texture experience uh, of the time bar, and I was approaching that uh, the skin as the mean, as a mean to perceive the texture of the of the world all the things that we can perceive mm-hmm. so um, I was trying to to develop the idea of perceiving uh, the texture and also relating that idea to the memory and uh, I called the skin like the 
biggest keeper of memories <laughs> because of the texture and the yeah. tactile experience. Well, it's yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that because while I was listening to this piece, and th this is a completely uh, acousmatic piece, right? There's no, uh, th there's no live element. No, but it comes from the recording of flute. Right. Uh, I got a session, a recording session with a flutist, uh -huh. and I worked with the recording of that to do. Uh, but it is an electroacoustic uh, compositional process, so there's nothing right. written. It was just exploring things with the instrument. Mm -hmm. But in as, as I was listening to this, you know, it, it was uh, actually in the beginning, it wasn't so clear that it was uh, it was absolutely flute. But then eventually it, it becomes clear that you're, you're working with flute sounds. And I was thinking like, wow, you know, this piece could be it, it could be like for a flute ensemble, you know, like you could you could kind of take take the I mean, the, it seems like even the even the uh, transformations you've made on the on the uh, original flute sounds could still be somewhat represented in an acoustic setting. And then I kept thinking, like, no, this wouldn't this wouldn't work at all as a a flute ensemble piece because of the fact that you a lot of these sounds that you're working with are the are the very quiet sounds, you know, key clicks and whisper tones and a lot of kind of breathy qualities of playing the flute. And those are the things that don't really uh, project all that well, especially in a concert space. And it's particularly because of, I think, particularly because of the closeness you feel with these sounds, that they're amplified, uh, you get that tactile experience with the sounds. You feel like you can you can touch these sounds that if, you know, even if the flautist was 20 feet away from you, you still wouldn't have that kind of immediacy, I think, with the sounds. It is really interesting to... I've never thought about it <laughs> before. <laughs> um, I, I think that the uniqueness of the electroacoustic process is that you can transgreet the possibilities of the technical approach to the instrument, mm -hmm. uh, the human limits. Right, and yeah. So you can avoid thinking about breathing, for example. Yeah. And I can extend it, the sound, and I can do it like, uh, I don't know, like something that it could not be played because of that uh, necessity of breathing so the sound would be interrupted in any right in any way yeah. or just uh, uh, extending the um, the register the range mm -hmm. possibilities of the instrument that's all, also things that could be not um, i think that the new techniques in music are amazing and the performers are doing things that are amazing uh, with the instruments nowadays but um, I think that also the electroacoustic process give me or give us the 
freedom mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah. approach uh, the qualities and the parameters of sound in a very specific uh, way. So we can alter the time bar, we can alter the attack, we can do it in very, very unique for, for what you are doing. And those things could be, I think you, you would need to think it in a very different way if you are going to think in a piece in a, for live electronics and, and flute, for example. Mm-hmm. It could be done, I think, but it would be a different piece. Totally, uh, right. So yeah. I think that's the beauty of the, of the different means to, to do music. Yeah. Now, you said that you were, you were kind of inspired by these three uh, attributes of timbre, the texture, the, mass. what was the other, mass, and Alignment. the luminance. Um, do you kind of have, you said this one was based on texture. Do you have plans to kind of explore those other two ideas in, in pieces? Yes, actually, uh, I'm doing that research for my PhD. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, there it started, is. I started with luminance because I think it, it has been the less explored in very specific ways from the technique of composition. Mm-hmm. And I, I have been trying to approach the vocabulary to describe the luminance of a sound, of a timbre and what we understand as light in music, in musical mm-hmm. terms. And it has been fascinating, fascinating to, to have that. Uh, it's a very wide space to approach uh, other kind of arts, for example, or other kind of concepts uh, that are not specifically mus- musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have been exploring different sources of inspiration for, for this. Yeah, I it would be, you know, I'm I'm trying to think about what luminance in, in terms of timbre would mean to me and how I would how I would kind of approach that or 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 deal with it in a musical way and. Hmm, that's really interesting. I'm re- I would be really excited to see like what comes like what creatively comes out of that process from you. Uh, well, I have been working hard. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think but it, it is also like when you open a door you are focused focused on something and then you start to be able to see things that you have not seen before so it's right. amazing yeah. of their researching process because yeah. you become more sensitive or more uh, awake aware yeah you have yeah, the totally. awareness of all other things so mm-hmm. that has been um with with your last piece you said that you you kind of weren't really focused on um organizing pitch i mean you you were dealing with five pitches but you know uh that it's it seemed like that's kind of um you weren't uh you weren't interested in transform transforming like pitch language it seems like you know so many electroacoustic pieces kind of completely ignore pitch as a musical element but with this piece because you are using 
you know, pitched sounds. Um, did you, were you thinking about a way to organize these or approach or, or were you kind of just approaching pitch in a kind of natural way in, in terms of you, you, you were, you had the, uh, you had the material from the recording, uh, you know, the recording session with the flautist and then, um, I just kind of deal with pitch in a, in a more organic way or intuitive way. Well, I think that when I approach pitch, I try to think in the, in the space and the, the space, the distance between the, the pitches as spaces mm-hmm. and those spaces as possibilities and the interaction between them. So what I try to do is to create oscillations or to create uh, other qualities for the spectral um, composition of the mm-hmm. well, the content, the harmonic or the inharmonic content mm-hmm. of that. Uh, so I try to alter that or trying to do it um, soft by approaching the the pitches to the fundamental or things like that. Uh-huh. So I don't think in um, in a system of organization, but I think in the space and the relationship okay. between them and the consequences of those of altering or changing the distance between them. And that's very interesting for me. That's the way I think in the especially no well i think in in both kind of composition awesome well let's listen to this piece and i'm gonna let you pronounce the title so i don't butcher it again memoria de mi piel
Well, let's talk about your last piece. And this one is called Infinitely Ethereal. And it's for solo bassoon. And uh, what what caused you to write this piece? Where did it where did it come from? I was asked to write this piece, and um, it was very hard. I was reading uh, the novel by Virginia Woolf at the same time. So, and. I have been working on the idea of time bar for many years. Right, so yeah. different ways, <laughs> different ways to approach the possibilities of time bar in the compositional process. So uh, the um, inspiration came from that uh, was a couple of lines of the of the novel that are describing uh, a flame, but I was attracted to all the um, indeterminacy, indeterminacy that mm-hmm. uh, was implied in, the, in that experience, something that it's undeterminate and you, unpredictable. And I was inspiring that idea to develop the the piece and then um well it was my first piece for solo instruments so it, it was like a challenge to look for everything just in one uh, source of sound yeah it, it was like uh but it was also very interesting to explore the bassoon in all the magnitude so i was trying to uh, compare and contrast, um, make a contrast between the the size, for example, and the impact of that in our timbral experience, and also the fragility of, for example, the high register. Yeah, and you said that the inspiration come from came from uh, lines talking about a flame. Is that it? Yes, uh, I like fire. Yeah. Yes, it was. Um, she she was describing a passion, and she uh-huh. was uh, giving attributes of very something that is really strong, but it is also fragile, like the yeah, like the okay. flame of a candle, and uh, it is uh, like a kind of. Uh, heat uh, mm-hmm. like that but it is not uh, it is also soft and it, it is uh, almost it is about to disappear and that was that kind or of or it can yeah it, it can it can be simultaneously about to disappear or about to grow in a way yeah that's really interesting because like you think about a flame and it's it is the thing, but it's also simultaneously never the same. It's constantly flickering and dying and growing. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, a flame is a, a number of possibilities all, all happening at the same time, but it's never, it is and it is not the thing. That's really interesting. So. <laughs> and, and you said something that was absolutely important for, for this piece, the flickering experience. Yeah. That 
unstable and shifting uh, experience from the the possibility of having mm-hmm. everything and then you don't have it anymore yeah <laughs> So, yeah. uh, but something that you cannot control, that's something Im- important for this. Mm-hmm. Or I was very attracted to that kind of power, that it's yeah. powerful, but it's also fragile. And you don't yeah, and I, and I think you, you definitely get some of that power from the bassoon through, your, uh, through some of the multiphonics. But others, other of the multiphonics, like you said, can be very fragile and unstable. Um, how how did you kind of find those bassoon multiphonics? Were you working with a performer, or were you going to um, you know some resources or? Uh, I I did um, uh, first research on the possibilities of the instrument, and I like to listen to other pieces and music from composers that I admire. For example, to to understand and see other possibilities. Uh, but I think uh, this piece was was composed for a bassoon, bassoonist, but at the end it was played by uh, Rebecca Hiller in the first play, in the first moment. And I had the opportunity to work with her and she gave me another perspective of the possibilities mm-hmm. of those techniques. And it was amazing because that's something that I mentioned before. It is important to have the opportunity to work with the person who is going to play the music. Right, right, right. The possibilities are huge. Cool. Well, uh, who who are we going to hear on this recording? Uh, that recording was uh, the performance of B. Angar. Awesome. So let's listen to it now. This is Infinitely Ethereal.
Uh, we've come to the the last question that I always ask all the uh, composers and, and musicians and performers and artists that come on the podcast. Uh, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? I don't know. I'm not sure, but I always wanted to do music. And the thing that I enjoyed the most was writing my own music. But at the beginning, I was, I was not trained. Uh, as a musician uh, when I was a child so I listened to a lot of pop and rock music mm-hmm. during my teenagers and I wrote, I just wrote songs and I enjoyed to do it by myself but then I decided to do it well so I started I, <laughs> <laughs> I decided to start doing my my music education, you know, and uh, at the beginning in Colombia, I didn't receive uh, composition classes. Uh, it was more like a music uh, training, more uh-huh. general. I, I also started singing. It was very traditional, but then I decided to become a composer because that was what I wanted to do, and I. I had the possibility to approach contemporary music and I decided to, to do it. And I think that's the, the best decision I, I have made. <laughs> right, yeah. What, did you have any, uh, like, any particular experience that kind of said, well, I could be doing these other things, but it's going to be music or it's going to be music composition? Or did you have a, a particular, like, teacher that uh, kind of inspired you down this path? When I was studying music, but uh, I I told you the undergraduate studies in Colombia were very uh, traditional and not, um, I didn't have an emphasis on composition, but I was uh, interested in knowing about the composition, the compositional world. And mm-hmm. I decided to do uh, a research on, on contemporary music without knowing anything about mm-hmm. it. And I met the composer Ana Maria Romano, and I think she was very important for that transition. And uh, I had been interested in composing and creating my own music and finding my own sound in different ways. But mm-hmm. I think it was a transitional to say, the transition to say I want to be, a, I want to become a composer of contemporary music. Yeah. And then I had many other inspirations during the process, and then sure. that's fascinating. Cool. Well, uh, before we go, can you tell everyone where they could find more of your music or how they could reach out to you online or? I have a website, uh, Michelle Amondano, and I also have a SoundCloud, and yes, you can write me. <laughs> I'll be, it cool. would be my pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, Michelle. Oh, thank you for the invitation. It has been amazing. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about Adjective New Music or Lexical Tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.